The unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So nice to see you all this morning. And it's really nice to do Reverend Master Jiu's ceremony, I think especially as this is the last day of the three three week intensive. Do we still call it that? Okay. So it's less intense now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, it's a nice way to end it because really if it weren't for her, we might not be here. So we can have you know, lots of gratitude. Okay, so um, what I want to talk about today is what training is and isn't. Okay, um, And I'm going to start off and, and bear with me because I'm not the world's best reader. I try not to stumble too much. Um, but what I'm going to start off with is the something from oops, the Platform Sutra, sometimes called the Sixth Patriarch or Ancestors Platform Sutra. Called, it's called the Dharma, Dharma Jewel Sutra here. This, this is a, a new translation. I think actually it was done in... 2014 by the Buddhist Text Translation Society. These are good friends at the City of 10,000 Buddhas. Um, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite sutras. I did a retreat on it years ago. I do not profess to have a great understanding of it. But the thing I liked about it really is um, Master Nang is very straightforward. You know, he just just straightforward. He doesn't, you know, embellish and all this. He just explains things and gives gives teaching. Um, and as many of you may know, he was the one who, um, I think he was maybe working with hunters at the time, or something was going on anyway. He, he came into a, a city, a town, and he came upon somebody reciting the Diamond Sutra. And it transformed his life. So his, you know, he has a real focus on the Diamond Sutra. Um, and, and it's actually interesting because this, this sutra, the platform sutra, is called a sutra in Chinese Buddhism. Well, sutras are generally um, attribute, teachings attributed to the Buddha, not to the Buddha's disciples or, you know, teachers later on, but, but for some reason this one was called the Sutra, so obviously it's held highly by, by people in the Chan tradition. Okay, so I'm going to start out by reading something from this, and it's just, it's going to read a page of this from this very short chapter, it's two pages, uh, on sitting meditation, because uh, when I read it, I thought, well, that's just like we do. I mean, it, it uh, is an explanation very much of our shikantaza, just sitting. And it's also a very good explanation of some of the pitfalls that we can stumble upon in, in meditation. Because, of course, we're just human beings and, you know, we bring ourselves to the training. Okay. 
So it starts, the master said to the assembly, and that's Wee Nang, who's giving this teaching. He says, the practice of sitting meditation basically consists of not fixating on the mind, nor on purity, nor is it just sitting motionless. If you speak of fixing of the, on the mind, this mind is fundamentally false. You should realize that the mind is like an illusion with nothing at all to grab onto. You might say it, that's sitting meditation, is, is fixating on purity, yet people's nature is basically true, pure, excuse me, basically pure. Only because of confused thinking is its, is its natural true thus being obscured. Only put an end to your confused thinking, and, and the nature is pure of itself. If you attach to an idea of purity, you will only end up with a false sense of purity. It is a, it is a delusion, unreal. This attachment is wrong. Purity has no shape or appearance, and yet there are those who create the appearance of purity and consider it skilled meditation. This attitude only covers over your own original nature. You should be, you become entangled in purity. Good and wise friends, he often introduces his teaching with good and wise friends because he really respected the people that he taught. Good and wise friends, someone who, cultivate, who cultivates not moving when he observes other people does not notice their rights or wrongs, good or bad sides, or their faults and failings. Just this is the unmoving essential nature. Good and wise friends, deluded people might make their bodies immobile, but as soon as they open their mouths, they gossip about others' rights and wrongs, their good qualities and shortcomings. And in, so, in doing so, they turn their backs on the way. So if you fixate on the mind and cling to purity, this, is ju- this just obstructs the way. So my reading was somewhat clear there. Um, So, you know, we, with the best of intentions, because um, we're just human beings, um, we kind of veer off. You know, we're going on the right path, and then we kind of veer off. And fixating on the mind, um, which tends to have a kind of a selfish nature to it, whereas in training, we're trying to put down the selfishness, okay? Um, kind of clinging to purity, um, Actually, purity is quite natural. It's not this something special that only special people have. Um, we all have it. Um, and this whole idea of meditation is, you know, no thought, motionless. Um, so Wienang really questions that. Um, remember Master Ji, who used to do this thing. She had false teeth. Okay, so if somebody were kind of getting off, you know, going on and on about something, because in the early days here, some of us went on and on about, you know, we, had, we really didn't have an understanding, but we thought we did. We were intellectualizing. Anyway, she would take out her teeth and then kind of observe her teeth, you know. You know. It, was, it was a good way to break, you know, break up that whole tension that was going on. Okay. Um, I had the, uh, well, let me also say about Rev. Master Jiu, she had a wonderful sense of humor, you know. I mean, her, her life was, was very difficult, 
from an early age, you know, being in World War II as a child, um, being a wim- woman in, in the world she was in at the time, uh, going to the Far East as a, as a Westerner and a woman, living in an all-male monastery. And then she came back and worked with all of us, you know, which was no picnic. Um, but she had this wonderful sense of humor. And from that picture up there, you know, she had this very inviting smile. And she had a way of making you feel that you were the one she was talking to. Now, most of the time, that was <clears throat> very kind and gentle. And occasionally, it was fierce because it's what you needed. And I, you know, I don't regret that. I mean, I think it was, it was okay. I had the opportunity to work in the kitchen here uh, for quite a while as the cook. What would happen occasionally in the kitchen, you'd have somebody who went into slow motion. I, I'm not a slow motion guy. So, I mean, I just, um, I'm, I'm just not. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, my life has been vigorous, okay? But anyway, someone would go into slow motion. What I mean by that is maybe uh, they're just moving very slowly or... Um, and, and people can be in a very, can be obstructive when they move too slowly. I, I know I've told this story many times about my best friend up the street's mother, who was this tiny Irish lady who could barely see over the steering wheel. And she drove exceptionally slowly. I mean, unbelievably slowly. And, and I was just a little boy, and I, I'd watch her go down the street, and I thought, oh my God, what's Because you, you see all these people going around her, and, you know, they want to get to where they were going, and she just, you know. So I, th- I thought, you know, going slow can be as bad as going fast. But anyway, so sometimes you, some people, I think, get stuck on now I am chopping the carrots. <laughs> well, really what we need to do is just chop the carrots. It's not, we don't have to now I am, you know. I mean, this is what we do. Our, I mean, we've all done this in a you know, kind of over, slow down. And... Uh, um, so what I would do is I would saddle up right next to them and I'd get my cutting board and my famous, my favorite Chinese cleaver and I would start chopping away. And I could chop fast. I mean, I chopped a lot of carrots in my life, you know. You've got to be careful. You can cut your hand. You know, that would be a very bad example. But, but I, what, what I was trying to do in a nice way is say, you know, let go of the now I am chopping carrots. Just chop the carrots. Because that, that's just a... You're just adding something to the equation. Okay? You're bringing an eye in there. And anyway, yeah, it's just really about chopping the carrots. I, I, I understand the point in practice about slowing down because, as I said, I'm not a, very much a slow-motion guy, and, and I did, was too fast on some things, you know. And, and it's not a race, and it's not a competition, you know. So... I can understand the slowing down. But what you want to be careful of in slowing down is going right past slowing down into slow motion. Because it's not, you know, I mean, occasionally slow motion is a really good thing, but not usually, okay? Um, And when we do that, we lose the necessary expression of vigor in our practice. Vigor is very important. If we don't put life into our practice... Who can? You know, it's, it's, it's our practice, so, so we have to put life into it. And uh, 
personally, I think if we don't put vigor, you know, if we're kind of just caught in this, the slowing down and the fixating um, and the purity, you know, the, our, our idea of purity, that um, we're making a mistake as the sixth ancestor said. It's a, it's a mistake. So always there are pitfalls in training. As I said, we're, we're human beings. We come to training with our stuff, um, with our preconceived notions, our experience, our ideas. It's not bad. you know. It's just, just how it is. Um, and although there are these pitfalls in training, obviously we can get back on the path. That's the wonderful thing. You know, we have that during one of our ceremonies. We sing that, chant that over and over again. Always get back on the path. That's what the Buddha said. You know, if you fall, always get back on the path. You have that ability. Um, at least with the monks, and at least in my day, I can say, um, we were asked not to read a lot of books about Buddhism. Not because reading is bad or books are bad. Um, most of us came out of a intellectual, philosophical, uh, college background, okay? We spent a lot of time in book learning. And um, uh, you, you, if you're not careful, um, initially launching into that, you can um, a little bit misunderstand what's being said. One of the things that people don't offer consider, you know, they say, well, the Buddha said this. What was equally important is what's the context of that? You know, what, what's the what's the story? Because it's just it's just important in really understanding something. You know, words um, words are what we got; they're a good thing, but we can get confused, okay? and and maybe we've got a you know a certain thing that we really like, so we just kind of run with it. Yeah, and, and, and I know myself, I, I, I was glad I did that. First off, there, were, there weren't a whole lot of books about Buddhism. Second off, I didn't have much time. You know, as, as a, a novice monk, there weren't a lot of novices. There weren't a lot of monks. We used to go to meditation and then come back and do kitchen cleanup. And two of us would be doing kitchen cleanup till 9 o'clock at night. And we didn't have the sense to have... Um, Flashlights. So sometimes I would find myself sprawled all over a manzanita bush because uh, my my uh, vision in the dark is terrible. Why I didn't get a flashlight, I don't know, but that's another matter. But anyway, you know, I, I'm I'm glad that I didn't kind of go off on that initially, and now I read more. I can't say I read a lot, or I I don't feel super educated about Buddhism, but I but I've read a number of things and. and uh, Better way to go. So, training, practice, meditation, if done properly, should lead us to a place of lightness and softness. This is kind of a clue. If it's making us harden up, okay, tense up, well, there's a bit of that initially because we're, if we're, if we're willing and courageous enough, we're facing suffering, our own and the world's, and you know, but. But over time, lightness and softness. Okay? Um, it, and 
Mindfulness, if practiced correctly, rather than narrow our vision of life, the world, and beings, um, so rather than narrow it, what we might call tunnel vision, correct mindfulness should expand our consciousness. Okay? Um, just open things up. Okay? Um, because uh, it isn't a question of just turning everything in and focusing on yourself. There isn't that big of a separation between us and others, first off. If we're not careful, we're, we're making this big chasm that actually isn't there. Let me read something else from Master Wieneng. Oh, I got my piece of the paper here. Oh, here we go. So this is in his chapter, that's Sadie barking, uh, entitled uh, Concentration and Wisdom. And he says... Good and wise friends, the single practice samadhi means always maintaining a direct mind in all situations, whether walking, standing, sitting, or reclining. As the Vimalakirti Sutra says, the direct mind is the place of awakening. The direct mind is the pure land. Do not allow the workings of your mind to become twisted. While merely talking about directness with your mouth, nor expound on the single Practice samadhi, but fail to cultivate the direct mind. Just cultivate with the direct mind and do not cling to anything. The deluded person, seizing on the appearance of things, latches on to the single practice samadhi, saying, I constantly sit unmoving and my mind never stirs. This is single practice samadhi. But those who interpret it in this way render themselves insensate. That means unfeeling. I looked it up. Uh, And create conditions that obstruct the way. Good and wise friends, the way should be open and free-flowing. How could it be impeded? When the mind does not cling to anything, the way accordingly circulates and flows. The mind that clings to dharmas ties itself up. It's called self-bondage. If you say that always sitting without moving is correct, then you are like Shariputra, who was scolded by Vimalakirti for sitting quietly in the forest. So that comes from the Vimalakirti Sutra where Vimalakirti makes some comments about Shariputra and some of the other monks where they're a bit stuck. Good and wise friends, there are also people who who teach sitting, gazing into the mind, contemplating tranquility without moving or getting up. They claim this will produce good results. Confused people lacking discernment grab on Grab on this practice and go mad. There are many such people. You should understand that these kinds of teachings are really off, mistaken. Sorry. Okay. So as I said, um, mindfulness practiced correctly, rather than tunneling us in, should actually open our vision up. Okay? Um, so, and this broadened consciousness, I'll use the word consciousness here, rather than being anything strange or psychedelic, uh, should be grounded in the, in the teachings like the four wisdoms, that's charity, tenderness, benevolence, sympathy, 
Um, or, I mean, there's a lot of these, or something like the six paramitas, generosity, keeping to the precepts, patience, vigor, meditation, and wisdom. And there's a reason why um, generosity, precepts, patience, vigor, and meditation precede wisdom. You know, we all want to be wise. Um, the thing is, you get to wisdom by doing these practices. Very simple, very straightforward practices. And you know, that's the four, the four wisdoms are these charity, tenderness, benevolence, sympathy. Okay? Everyone wants to be wise, as I say. Um, but but as, the thing is, we have to do these practices to get there if we want the right wisdom. Um, so sometimes we can get bogged down um, or off on a tangent in our training. That is why we can be grateful for the Sangha. Okay? So, you know, our training, although we have to do our own training, no one can do it for us, we train with other beings. And in training with other beings, if we had the courage to actually look at what's going on, uh, it holds up a mirror that can reflect the areas where we need to work, the areas that we need to work on in our training. And obviously, it also shows the things that we are doing right. It's not always, always a question of something wrong. You know, we, don't, we don't beat ourselves in training. And I think if we are in our head, you know, and not, not wanting to look out, um, well, I think that's partly because in the back of our mind, we, we know we have to face suffering if we do that. Um, now, if we don't join in the practice with others, uh, if we are willing to go outside of ourselves, go outside of our own practice, we really limit our practice. That's what what's... I think is going on there. I mean, I say that for me. Let me um, read something from describing the indescribable, okay? Which is a translation and commentary um, on the Diamond Sutra by Master Xing Yun. I said that right, okay? And in his uh, commentary on one of the chapters, he quotes from the. Mahaparinirvana Sutra. And he says, the Mahaparinirvana Sutra contains a record of the following exchange between the Buddha and Saputi. Saputi is the one who the dialogue, the Buddha is having the dialogue with in the Diamond Sutra too. So Saputi asks the, the Buddha, world honor one, if a great Bodhisattva wants to achieve highest complete enlightenment, how should he behave, he or she behave? The Buddha replied, he or she should learn equanimity, and he or she should practice equanimity of language with all sentient beings. Uh, they should be partial, partial, not be partial, excuse me, to any one, or, any one or another of them. And they should be compassionate with all sentient beings. And they should always be compassionate in their use of language. They should form good intentions towards all sentient beings, and they should evince good intentions in this use of language. Over and over again, he talks about language. That's kind of a clue. 
I mean, that's what we got to communicate with. Okay? So language is very important. And, of course, the Buddha gave uh, many teachings on proper speech, you know, when it was good to speak, when it was good not to speak, um, how it was good to approach things in our speech. So I think I was here. They should form good intentions towards all sentient beings and they should evince good intentions in their use of language. They should be peaceful and calm with all sentient beings and they should always be peaceful and calm in their use of language. In this relation with all sentient beings, they should give rise to a mind that is free of blockage and repression. And the language they use should be free of blockage and and repression. They should not be troublesome in, this re- in their relationships with other sentient beings, and their use of language should not be troublesome. They should be loving and respectful in their relations with other sentient beings, and they should treat them as they, they were members of their own family and friends. Um, so here's this question from Sabhuti about the, you know, the, how do we achieve the highest complete enlightenment, which, of course, all of us want. Well, what does the Buddha do? He proceeds to talk about charity, tenderness, benevolence, sympathy. Okay? Um, so I, I think that must be a clue. So part of, uh, of our practice in in Buddhism is about breaking down the walls between self and other. Let's face it, we're not all that different, even with our differences. Human beings are just not that different. Um, in Buddhism, we say all is one and all is different. We, just, we don't just say all is one. And we say all is one and all is different. And what my teacher told me is if you can hold those simultaneously, that is the all is one, all is different in in your hand simultaneously, that that's actually enlightenment. Um, We don't have to make everything one. Um, It's not a problem that there is a difference. And actually, we can benefit from difference. We can complement each other. Uh, And if we are willing, we can expand... Um, our views and understanding. Remember Master Jiu had a very, she had this cartoon that she really liked that she pinned up on our our bulletin board down in the Sangha house. And it was, these two monks were standing outside of a church and this person was driving by in a convertible Cadillac I, you know, must have been a, a really valuable car in those days or expensive car. And there was this person in the Cadillac um, not wearing a monk's robe. But the two monks kind of comment to each other. They said, isn't it nice that he came to visit us after his enlightenment? I, I liked it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm just going to end with this. I'm not going to go on very much more, but... Um, this is from Reverend Master Jiyu's translation of Great Master Dogen's Genjo Koan. Okay, and she's, she says this. She translates Great Master Dogen in this way. When one studies Buddhism, one studies oneself. When one studies oneself, one forgets oneself. When one forgets oneself, one is enlightened by everything. 
And this very enlightenment breaks the bonds of clinging to both body and mind, not only for oneself, but for all beings as well. If the enlightenment is true, it even wipes out clinging to enlightenment. That's kind of what, you know, this, this clinging to enlightenment is what Master G used to call the stench of enlightenment. Um, uh, therefore, it is imperative that we return to and live in the, in the, the world of ordinary people. So, wonderful if we've had a great understanding. Uh, we got to come down from our mountain. And I think we don't also want to prematurely think we've had a great understanding. It's probably a good idea to just train for a while. You know? um, and um, I don't know. I know for me, um, enlightenment wasn't happening. I kept thinking, I kept sending these, uh, you know, six months. I wanted to correspond with my going back home to visit my parents and people. I would come back enlightened. What didn't happen? You know? <laughs> and then one day I realized, you know, well, why, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it because um, I like to do it. You know, this, is, this is the form of life I chose and the expression of life I, I chose and and uh, it really benefits me, okay? And it, what I can do is I can get up one more time than I can fall. And that's okay. Thank you very much.